This is Children of the Living God, a podcast through the book of Hosea. Our goal is to just deliver little bite-sized pieces of the Old Testament so that you, while you're on a run, on a drive, doing laundry, whatever you're doing, can get some more Bible into your day, and especially uh, some Bible from some of the lesser-known books, books like the book of Hosea. And uh, we've been talking through Hosea for a couple weeks now. And uh, if, we, if you want the bird's eye view of the book, it's a book about God's redemptive mercy and how God often uses discipline to bring his people back to himself. And Hosea is a prophet that's been given this assignment by God to live out God's relationship with Israel. So Hosea marries Gomer, who repeatedly cheats on him. And that's exactly what Israel has done. God has shown faithful love to Israel through generations, and yet Israel at every point continues to turn away from God and worship other gods, turn to false lovers. And God promises that he's going to discipline them. He's going to let them feel the consequences of their sin, but it's all for a redemptive purpose because God will one day uh, woo back his wayward bride to himself. And, uh, and his people will once again dwell with him. Hosea chapter 8 to 9 is what we're going to look at today. And the focus is on the specific connection between idolatry, the sin of worshiping false gods, and exile, being kicked out of the land that God promised to Israel. Now, we're going to see how God's salvation is, is more than just this external type of deliverance uh, from from threat that we often see in the Old Testament. But the, but the ultimate salvation God is giving is a salvation of our actual character, a transformation of our hearts that leads to proper worship. And what you're going to see is that Israel, they still are doing religious things. They're still doing festivals. They're still offering sacrifices. They're still externally worshiping God, but their hearts are far from him. And God recognizes that. And God is trying to correct that and say, look, it doesn't matter all the external trappings. If they're devoid of an actual heart that loves and wants to obey God, they're meaningless. And so God is going to expose their hypocrisy and reveal that underneath the veneer of religiosity that Israel shows is a wicked heart of idolatry that they must repent of. So this is uh, Hosea chapter 8 and 9. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Sound the alarm. The enemy descends like an eagle on the people of the Lord. For they have broken my covenant and revolted against my law. Now Israel pleads with me, help us, for you are our, our God. But it's too late. The people of Israel have rejected what is good, and now their enemies will chase after them. The people have appointed kings without my consent and princes without my approval. By making idols for themselves from their silver and gold, they have brought about their own destruction. O Samaria, I reject this calf, this idol you have made. My fury burns against you. How long will you be incapable of innocence? This calf you worship, O Israel, was crafted by your own hands. It is not God. Therefore, it must be smashed to bits. 
They have planted the wind and will harvest the whirlwind. The stalks of grain wither and produce nothing to eat. And even if there is any grain, foreigners will eat it. The people of Israel have been swallowed up. They lie among the nations like an old discarded pot, like a wild donkey looking for a mate. They have gone up to Assyria. The people of Israel have sold themselves, sold themselves to many lovers. But though they have sold themselves to many allies, I will now gather them together for judgment. Then they will writhe under the burden of the great king. Israel has built many altars to take away sin, but these very altars become places for sinning. Even though I gave them all my laws, they act as if those laws don't apply to them. The people love to offer sacrifices to me, feasting on the meat, but I do not accept their sacrifices. I will hold my people accountable for their sins and I will punish them. They will return to Egypt. Israel has forgotten its maker and built great palaces and Judah has fortified its cities. Therefore, I will send down fire on their cities and I will burn up their fortresses. O people of Israel, do not rejoice as other nations do. For you have been unfaithful to your God, hiring yourselves out like prostitutes, worshiping other gods on every threshing floor. So now your harvest will be too small to feed you. There will be no grapes for making new wine. You may no longer stay here in the Lord's land. Instead, you will return to Egypt, and in Assyria you will eat food that is ceremonially unclean. There you will make no offerings of wine to the Lord. None of your sacrifices there will please him. They will be unclean like food touched by a person in mourning. All who present such sacrifices will be defiled. They may eat this food themselves, but they may not offer it to the Lord. What then will you do on festival days? How will you observe the Lord's festivals? Even if you escape destruction from Assyria, Egypt will conquer you and Memphis will bury you. Nettles will take over your treasures of silver and thistles will invade your ruined homes. The time of Israel's punishment has come. The day of payment is here. Soon Israel will know this all too well because of your great sin and hostility. You say, the prophets are crazy and the inspired men are fools. The prophet is a watchman over Israel for my God. Yet traps are laid for him wherever he goes. He faces hostility even in the house of God. The things my people do are as depraved as what they did in Gibeah long ago. God will not forget. He will surely punish them for their sins. The Lord says, O Israel, when I first found you, it was like finding fresh grapes in the desert. When I saw your ancestors, it was like seeing the first ripe figs of the season. But then they deserted me for Baal Peor, giving themselves to that shameful idol. Soon they became vile, as vile as the God they worshipped. The glory of Israel will fly away like a bird, for your children will not be born or grow in the womb or even be conceived. Even if you do have children who grow up, I will take them from you. It will be a terrible day when I turn away and leave you alone. I have watched Israel become as beautiful as Tyre, but now Israel will bring out her children for slaughter. O Lord, what should I request for your people? I will ask for wombs that don't give birth and breasts that give no milk. And the Lord says, all their wickedness began to Gilgal, there I began to hate them. I will drive them from my land because of their evil actions. I will love them no more because all their leaders are rebels. The people of Israel are struck down. And if they give birth, I will slaughter their beloved children. My God will reject the people of Israel because they will not listen or obey. They will be wanderers, homeless among the nations. God calls out Israel for breaking their marriage covenant by rebelling against his law. So to break his law is to break your relationship, is to personally offend God. Now, Israel cries out to God saying, Lord, we know you, but it's a cry of hypocrisy because God sees through external piety and sees right down to the core of their problem, their idolatry. 
They're making dramatic apologies so that they can continue in their sin. It's not actual repentance. And in this respect, Israel is just like their forefathers. You'll notice that God calls uh, Israel uh, or hearkens back to the golden calf. He says, Israel, you have your own, or Samaria, you have your own calf. You have your own idol that you've created from your own hands, and it's foolish. I mean, idolatry is foolish. These people are worshiping something that they made in their tool shed, right? It's something that they made out of wood or metal or clay, and they're acting as if it has the power of God. Idolatry is insanity. And because of that, the true God will shatter them to pieces. He's gonna show his power over the idols. And Israel's idolatry has made her useless. Not only is she gonna reap the whirlwind of God's judgment, but she's gonna be betrayed by her false hopes. You see that she turns to Assyria and Egypt as hired lovers to protect her, but they're not gonna be able to protect her from God's discipline. And it's all these other things that we look to to provide security and help. But ultimately, who are we kidding? God sees right through it. He's not gonna allow us to share a bed with our, our idols if he's the husband of his people. Israel has played the whore and will now know life without her husband in exile. God cared for Israel, but she sold her body to false gods. And as a result, God's going to say, if you want that so bad, you can have it. I'm going to turn you over to your sin. And we start to see that as people worship these idols, they become like them. God says that you have become just as vile as the false gods that you've worshiped. And this is true. If you worship sex, you're gonna become somebody consumed with vanity. If you worship money materialism, you're gonna become consumed by that and your life is gonna start to be all about your material possessions. You're gonna become a greedy person. All of these things are transformative. So it's it's not a matter of whether we'll become what we worship. It's who are we worshiping? Who are we becoming? If we worship the true God, we begin to reflect his characteristics. We begin to look like Jesus. If we worship any other God, we're going to reflect their characteristics. And Christ's death and resurrection secures for us forgiveness, not just for the bad things we've done, but for all the foolish things that we've made idols. And this is why in the Old Testament, God mocks the idols. And, and, and he shows us that to go after these things to provide for us what only the living God can provide is absolute insanity. And God's discipline reveals our true hope. And now what often God does is it's, it's not a zero-sum game. So it's not like we just don't like anything and we only love God. It's, it's, it, it's something that it, the, the pie actually grows. If you think about it like this, the more you love God, the more you can love your spouse, the more you can love your children, the more you can enjoy life right? The more you love God, the more you're going to love your neighbor. It's not as though you have this pie and you can give 50% to God and and 25% to your family and 25% to your church. That's not how it works. When you love God, the pie increases. Your capacity to love increases. Your capacity for joy increases. And that's what we see. God says, if you turn back to me, right, I'm going to bless you. And notice what he says. When, When you turn away from me, what happens? Your children are cursed, right? Your, your, your life is going to be miserable. But if you turn towards me, if you are faithful to me, if you worship me above all, what happens? Your wine vats overflow. Your worship is joyful. Your fields are going to be filled. Your children and your children's children will be blessed. This is God's covenant love for his sinful people. This is how he woos us home. He tells us, listen, life with me is better. Why are you wasting your time on these foolish false gods? All these things that you think will bring you ultimate satisfaction. And the great thing is, once you worship God, 
All the other things fall into their correct place. It's not, again, picking God over your family, picking God over your children, picking God over the things you enjoy, but rather putting everything in their proper place so that you can enjoy all the good gifts of God the way he intended, in the order that he intended you to enjoy them. As always, thank you for listening to this podcast. Make sure you share, uh, subscribe to it, leave a good review, and we will see you next week.